You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Scott Lunn. Well, good morning, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Port Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. Good morning, Scott. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Dolores. Thanks. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. It's Friday again, again, and it's sunny and beautiful, and I think we're in for a great weekend. Absolutely. It's going to be good. Yeah. I, uh, I also want to give a shout out to our tech sponsor, Brian LaChapelle from B4 Networks. Can't do any of this without the good folks at uh, B4. Thank you, Brian. How are you this morning? Wonderful. Thanks, Dolores. Great. So this morning, we're going to be discussing um, the results of the most recent Economic Rapid Recovery Team survey, as well as uh, gaining some insight into our construction and manufacturing sectors here in Niagara. Scott, I think this conversation um, this morning is going to be a little different uh, because these two industries in particular, I don't believe has, have been as hard hit as some of the other um, sectors that we've talked to or talked about. Um, so let's get to it, Scott. Who do we have joining us this morning? Yeah, you bet, Dolores. This morning, we welcome uh, Blake Landry, Manager, Economic Research and Analysis with the Regional Municipality of Niagara. Glenn Stoll, President of Stoll Construction, and Don Sear, Chair of the Niagara Industrial Association. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Um, we'll get things kicked off, Blake, with you because uh, the latest uh, results from the third uh, Niagara COVID-19 business impact survey have been released. Some interesting information in there for sure. Can you uh, give us a snapshot of some of the highlights from, uh, from the recent survey? Certainly. Um, well, I, I recently did a Niagara economic update that looks at kind of the macroeconomic statistics um, for Niagara. However, it doesn't give us that business level perspective. So this is why it was important to actually get out there and survey businesses to find out the particular impacts as well as what they need to recover. So we actually reached out to about 10,000 businesses in Niagara. So we worked with all of the economic development offices, all of the chambers, um, and this is the third survey that we're, we've done. Um, and we got about 800 responses, um, which was relatively uh, good. Um, so some of the questions we asked were things like revenue loss, employment um, issues, that sort of thing. So what we found is that about 81% of all respondents um, lost revenue. Um, on average, that's about 1.1 million per business. So that's a pretty significant hit when you consider most of these businesses are relatively small. And then when we look at the sectors that were greatly affected, so it includes arts, entertainment, and and then wholesale trade, and then of course, accommodation and food services, and then manufacturing, uh, as well as transportation and warehousing. So although manufacturing didn't lose as many jobs as many other sectors, um, companies were reported, they still lost on average 1.7 million each in revenue. So um, I don't think any sector has been unscathed during the pandemic. Um, and that's why we do this kind of this type of research to understand basically um, how they're being affected, what they need to recover. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there's some, some uh, 
1.1 million as an average for, for business is pretty alarming. Um, you know, that's, that's the one thing that really, really reaches out there. And then um, in, in the concerns facing a lot of the, uh, the industries in coming out of, of this is also quite alarming. So uh, maybe just uh, touch on that and then we can, we can move on because uh, it looks like um, in terms of workforce and all of that, like there's a lot of issues that are coming down the pipe in coming out of COVID. Certainly. So um, the workforces have been drastically affected. So a lot of businesses reported um, having to lay off employees. So our um, unemployment rate right now is about 12%. Pre-pandemic, it was around 5%. So it gives you an idea of, you know, how many people are unemployed at the height of the pandemic, up to 30,000 people had lost their jobs in Niagara. Um, so it is drastically, you know, affecting especially employees. Um, when we think about the composition of businesses in, in Niagara, about 90% of them have fewer than 20 employees. So if you think, you know, a $1.1 million, $1 million hit to a business with fewer than 20 employees, that's very significant within one year. So it just gives you an idea in terms of some of the pressures businesses are feeling right now. And they did report like cash flow um, and, you know, financial stability as being one of their kind of obstacles to recovery. So we suspect that most businesses, well, about 30% said they will recover within uh, one year. Um, and then about 80% would be recover within between one and three plus years. So we're looking at kind of like a prolonged recovery here. We're going to see a lot of things reopen and, and it'll appear that businesses are doing well when things reopen, but it is going to take them at least a few years to get back onto uh, stable financial footing. So I, I have a quick question and then I'll throw it back to you, Scott. Um, so in talking to some of our uh, job developers here in, in Niagara, they've been telling us that there are more jobs than there are people. So that's a bit of a, a, a head scratcher um, because you're telling us the unemployment rate is, is higher than it's ever been. Well, the reason is that is, well, yes, but those are forced restrictions and businesses actually reported needing to hire a lot more people post pandemic. So they're actually planning on building their workforces after the pandemic. So right now it's a very unique situation in that they're forced to be closed. However, if the economy was reopened, there would be a shortage of employees and most of them are planning on hiring within the next six months and especially once the pandemic is over so we're in a very you know unique situation in that this is like a forced recession um if we didn't have these restrictions things would actually be booming right now okay and, and maybe we'll touch a little more on that workforce with uh with don and, and len maybe later on in the conversation back to you scott <laughs> well let's let's uh, get to, to don and len um in in relation to those findings uh that Blake and his group have found. Uh, is it similar in the industrial uh, side of things from what you've seen, uh, Don, or has that uh, area held up pretty well? Well, um, the data that we've seen uh, overall for manufacturing in Canada, um, industrial side, has been relatively positive over the period of, of COVID. There was a bit of a blip uh, back in uh, March of 2020, when it first occurred, there were supply chain issues that took place. But when you look at some of the overall statistics, it wasn't bad. Anecdotally, 
among our members uh, this uh, year as we transition to virtual uh, meetings, we started a series called Think Tanks where we would have discussions with a small number of our members. And it was surprising to see that after that blip in uh, the spring of 2020, a number of them talked about uh, having a pretty good year. Um, of course, there were issues around dealing with the pandemic and safety, additional costs and that, but many of them did not do, uh, you know, too badly. So that was a positive sign uh, on the industrial, uh, the industrial side. The other thing, as we come out of the pandemic, we recently had a think tank and again, uh, a meeting where small number of them, and there was some discussion about uh, increased investment. Uh, among some of them. And that's uh, also, you see that a bit in uh, from uh, the CME, Canadian manufacturers and exporters, where up, up to about two, 200, or 2020, uh, Canadian manufacturing among the OECD countries was one of the slowest growth ones in terms of investment, further investment in machinery and equipment. But we're anecdotally getting some evidence that a number of firms are, are getting ready for that coming out of the pandemic and they're looking at uh, expanding. Well, that's, uh, that's positive. That's a positive story coming out of, uh, out of this year. Um, and I guess from the construction side of things, Len, uh, I know you, certainly there are some areas where it appears to be going uh, flat out in some areas. Has, what has the experience been uh, from, from your seat? Well, I can echo, you know, a similar story to what Don just described. When, when it, you know, we had a tough first two quarters of 2020. Um, it's just because, you know, a lot of our clients didn't know how to react to it. Um, some jobs closed down. But then once we, we kind of got a handle on things, um, everything, you know, the government had pretty much deemed most of construction essential. So it went right back to, you know, full on, you know, within, you know, with utilizing protocols and, and different safety measures, but pretty much right back to as busy as we were leading up to it. And, um, you know, our last two quarters of 2020 were, were very busy and trying to handle the demand. So, um, you know, and that's just really has carried on, even even in with these two lockdowns, you know, coming out of Christmas and this current one we're in, it really has very minimal impact on on construction. You could, I mean, you could see houses in Niagara going up everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not in residential construction, but um, you know, I drive by it as well, and uh, you know, we're in the commercial, industrial, institutional fields, and and. I would say institutional is a, a bit slower than normal, but commercial and industrial are, are still going very strong. And well, we've, we've had to, we've had to hire, you know, we've hired constantly through this whole, well, whole pandemic. So, and, and to that point, Len, uh, and getting back to the workforce, uh, having to hire during the pandemic and hire as things, things are going okay. How hard has that been? Are you finding it hard to find trades people? Um, 
tradespeople are, are always difficult to find. Um, but I think we found maybe a little bit of um, kind of a, a seam, I guess you'd call it, in, in recruitment is that I find with people not being able to connect so much maybe with their, with their current employers, that they te- there's tending to be a lot more turnover. This I don't I don't have any stats to prove this or, but I'm I'm seeing it that people who have been somewhere a long time are now open to moving. I think you know they're they're disconnected a bit from their current work you know situation, having to work remotely or or whatever, but they seem to be open to to moving and and we've been. We kind of exploited that, I guess, a little bit and, and, and noticed that. And we went after that and, and we've been be lucky to bring in some pretty good people in a, in a time where you think it, would, it should be di- very difficult to do it. So, Yeah, I, I think some, some industries um, are going to be hit harder than others. I mean, there are people that have been wor- out of work, um, you know, say in, in tourism, for over a year now, and they've had to explore other opportunities. And, and um, you know, it's people who, who have HR backgrounds and, and bookkeeping and accounting and, and all of that, who've been within a certain industry for a long time. And, um, and I think there's gonna be winners and losers uh, when this is all over in terms of, of the workforce. I, I think we're really gonna see that. And that's certainly a conversation that we've been having with uh, our tourism um, industry partners. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges for workplaces has really been in keeping the employees safe. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's in my mind, tough to do on a construction site, um, you know, certainly challenges within um, an in- industrial um, facility to do that. Can you guys, um, maybe we'll start with Len, talk a little bit about what, what you've done to ensure um, that safety piece for your employees? Sure. Um, well, actually, safety is a pretty big part of your normal day-to-day in construction, right? So you usually start your day with a safety talk. Um, we're always wearing uh, personal protection, you know, boots, helmets, glasses, gloves, the whole thing. So really, you know, we've had to make some changes due to COVID. Obviously, we're wearing masks, more wash stations, um, you know, separate bathrooms, that kind of thing, even even a bit, uh, you know, separating shifts and, and rotating shifts, um, working out of normal hours. But for the most part, we took it in stride because, uh, you know, that's it's already part of the psyche and already part of our protocol to, to follow all these different safety things that are in place in construction. So I think manufacturing, very similar. Um, I'll let Don speak to that, but very similar, you know, they, they go through pretty rigorous protocols anyway. So just adding a few more things into it, we adjusted pretty quickly to it. And Don? Yeah, that seems to be a common theme among all of our members, particularly in the small, medium-sized manufacturing area. Uh, there were additional costs. There was some transitioning. Um, there was a lot of you know a lot of questions from employees about what to do around safety, but that seemed to evolve smooth out. Where you see 
issues, and I don't, and you know, not really something we see in Niagara, but um, you know, it's the Amazon fulfillment centers and and areas like this uh, in the more the larger GTA, where you know, and that's resulting in some uh, hot areas uh, for COVID. But for our small, medium-sized manufacturers, uh, we've, we've not really seen a problem. And as Len uh, uh, points out, safety is a big issue. Uh, for them, uh, and protocols are there already. So adding to those, a uh, bit of struggle in the beginning. Some of them looking at, and 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 needing answers to questions. What exactly should we be doing? And but once that's moved out, you're you're not really hearing of any issues. And are I agree. I, sorry, I I would agree with Don that that the biggest the biggest hurdle for us was knowing what they wanted. Right. And yeah. nobody really giving you a clear answer. So, yeah, that's having, pretty consistent throughout this whole. Right. <laughs> it's been pretty consistent. No clear answers. Um, so of the things that you've had to um, implement in, in, in addition to what you were doing before, do you think those are things that are going to stick around long after uh, the pandemic is over? Are these uh, are these permanent additions, do you think, in terms of the, the safety uh, protocols? Len? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, definitely. Some of the some of the the protocols put in place actually made us more efficient. You know, um, not you know not gathering every morning as a as a large group all the time, and you know going to specific sites and and, and yeah, there's definitely some good things going to come out of this that will make us you know safer and and more efficient in the long run. Yeah, and, and Don. Uh, yeah, I guess it's hard to tell. Um, I but I think what Len has a good point about once something gets established, uh, there's uh, some a static aspect to it, and people get used to a, a a typical process, and so we might see that uh, continuing. Yeah, in terms of, um, you know, the safety aspect, um, it was just announced last week, uh, a partnership between the um, provincial government and the Ontario Chamber of Commerce that um, through the local chambers, uh, so our, our chambers here in Niagara will be participating as well, uh, will be distributing rapid um, testing kits for employers with 150 um, employees or less. And um, I think that's, you know, that that's going to be fantastic because, you um, You'll, you'll be able to have that testing on site and um, and and reduce that threat to your workforce. So um, hoping to roll that out within uh, the coming weeks. Uh, nothing is ever clear, so not exactly sure when we're getting them, <laughs> but but it it um, it will be coming. Um, Blake, I I want to uh, take it back to you um, and talk a little bit more about the survey. Uh, so during this time, we've actually dis distributed three uh, surveys and, uh, you know, we, we participated um, in pushing that out to our 2000 members across South Niagara. And there was a little bit of pushback from, from businesses saying, you know, why another survey? Like, what is the point of this? And, and we know that the data is, is important. Can you speak a little bit about, why collecting the data now is so important um, to the future and, and, and for planning? 
Yeah, that's actually an excellent question. So businesses, and I understand, you get survey fatigue. We've done three surveys. Other people have done surveys, and I completely understand that. And that's why our response rate had gradually gotten lower. However, the survey results were involved in bringing millions of dollars into Niagara to support businesses. And one clear example of that is the tourism adaptation grants that we provided. So we needed data from businesses in order to go and advocate to other levels of government in order to get funding and other supports for businesses. So that's one clear example. Um, we, that data was used uh, to advocate uh, and we were able to bring in um, the two over $2 million that supported over 170 tourism-oriented businesses in Niagara. So that's one example. When we go ask for money and we advocate for policies and programs, you need to have evidence. And the best evidence is from the business community. Where And, you know, and that gives us a platform to then go and advocate. So the first two surveys were really about um, understanding like the direct impact on businesses, the nuances between the different sectors. There are 22 different industrial sectors of the economy and all of them have been affected kind of differently during the process of the pandemic. So the survey data also allows us to understand, you know, how certain sectors are affected by certain measures and that sort of thing. So we will be advocating for more programs and resources to support businesses. Um, the AMO conference, so the Association of Municipalities of Ontario is in August, and this current survey is actually being used to advocate to the province as well on behalf of Niagara businesses programs to, you know, that will support them. Um, and we can't do that without getting input from businesses. So um, I know that there is a lag between when we get the data and when the resources and support actually come to the businesses, but it all gets used widely. So, uh, and there's a ton of interest in the information as well. Um, in Niagara, uh, we were hit 26 out of 29 economic regions in Canada. We were number 26 in terms of hardest hit. So there are 25 other regions that didn't weren't as hit as hard as us economically from COVID. And a lot of that has to do with our binational location, our dependence on Amer U.S. markets for everything from manufacturing to tourism um, to, uh, you know, retail trade, wholesale trade, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, we're also uh, very dependent on tourism-oriented industries. So in Niagara, we have 1.7 times the number of tourism jobs that we do in Ontario. So you could imagine we have 1.7 times more tourism job layoffs than they would in Ontario. So that's why out of 29, we're number 26 in Canada. Um, so, you know, that helps us go and advocate. Like, we should be getting then our fair share of resources to help in the recovery. You know, border lockdowns, um, tourism restrictions, it hit, hits us harder than it does most of the regions in Canada. So I would expect that we would then get the supports to be able to recover since we were affected by these restrictions that were imposed. So, you know, I do this research in order to be able to prove this stuff. If I wasn't doing this, nobody would know what I just said, you know, and we wouldn't have a case, but we do have a case now. Another good example is the Ontario Together Fund. So that is a provincial funding program. Niagara represents maybe 
three or four percent of the provincial economy, but we got about 15 percent of the funding from that program. So because we are, have the data to be able to advocate without that, like we just wouldn't have the platform to be able to, you know, go to the provincial federal levels of government and, and make a case why we should be getting some supports that other regions may not need. Um, so that's just kind of an example of how we use the data uh, and, and the, um, the results, but it's also used in terms of public policy, um, for instance, we have been involved in vaccinating food processing employees um, because we know there's a risk of an outbreak in a lot of those facilities. It's been proven in data. So, you know, we need data to make very informed decisions. Um, uh, so that was phase one. Uh, phase two, we're going to be helping public health reach out to manufacturing companies and retail and wholesale trade and then transportation and warehousing because those are other high risk operations. Um, and we have the data to be able to, to show that they are high risk, that they are affected. So um, we're going to be working with public health to connect with those businesses in order to give them their promote and get vaccinations to their employees because we know uh, it's very important to reduce the spread. So those are a few kind of examples in terms of how we apply the data. Um, but the businesses, what I want them to understand is that it's in their best interest. There is a return um, on investment for their time. Um, it's, it's critical. And luckily, businesses have been very good. So I'm, I connect with my counterparts throughout Canada and Ontario. Our businesses actually complete our surveys and are very good about doing that. So I'm very thankful for that compared to a lot of other regions. So, you know, there's a lot of survey fatigue, but I believe that most, a lot of the businesses ultimately want to help um, and they have volunteered their time to do that. And, and you know, it's going to support the economic recovery in Niagara. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just so important to make that connection from from the surveys to the data collection to the actual resources that we're getting because of it. It's, it's important for uh, you know, people uh, filling out the surveys to understand that. So thanks for that clarification. Um, and I've said it before, I'm gonna say it again. I think you were one of our greatest assets here in Niagara. I mean, you're, you're putting the surveys together, you're, you're pushing them out to us, you're collecting the data, you understand the data, you analyze the data. And then, uh, you know, you're able to uh, go out and get us the things that we need. So um, thank you, Blake, for all your hard work. We, we <laughs> couldn't do any of it without you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And again, it's, this is all about supporting businesses and economic recovery and economic development. You know, it's not about me. It's about um, getting evidence so that we can do what's in the best interest for Niagara. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you mentioned just briefly the border, and I, I do want to touch on that. Um, so I, I'm not sure, Don, um, I know that the flow of, of, of goods has, has pretty much continued, but has that border closure um, impacted um, many of your members? Any of your members? Well, um, I think in, in, the Niagara, in the Niagara region, not quite as much. Certainly when we've talked to other associations around the Windsor area, it's been um, a bigger issue particularly around um, uh, service people perhaps um, uh, having to travel over uh, to the United States either for installation or service of, uh, of equipment and then having to come back and uh, isolate uh, you know for 14 days that 
that was an ongoing issue continues. Um, we, we've not heard a lot of that from our, our own members uh, in the Niagara region. Um, uh, certainly the United States is very interested in having the border opened uh, and in uh, New York State, uh, they are petitioning uh, President Biden to, uh, to send vaccine to Canada so that, so that they can get the border open, <laughs> so both particularly for the summer. Yeah, it's funny how things change. Um, you know, I've got some great colleagues at the Niagara USA Chamber and the, the World Trade Center, and we, we chat regularly. And a couple of months ago, uh, early on in the year, uh, y- you know, we were getting each other like, hey, keep, you know, on our side, I was saying to them, keep that border closed. Don't, don't come over and, uh, you know, bring what you got. And we then about a month ago, it, it reversed. And it was like, yeah, Canada, just stay where you are. <laughs> it completely flipped. So you, you, you can't plan on anything because uh, every every time you think you uh, know what's going to happen, it uh, it just switches. Um, we, we did have a couple of members early on um, who had manufacturing facilities on the U.S. side and they could not get over. And so there were a couple of months there where um, they just couldn't get into their facility. They couldn't cross the border and, and that um, impacted them. And, and some of them actually uh, lived in uh, rural areas uh, here in, in Southern Niagara where they couldn't even um, get Wi-Fi. Uh, so we, we actually made our, our, one of our offices available that they could book time and just come in so that they could access some internet and get some work done. So, um, it was, um, almost unbelievable. Uh, Lynn, so, I mean, what is the cost of a two by four these days? (laughs) Just the cost of, of, you know, building a home or any kind of construction Seems to have, um, and aren't you impressed that I actually use the term a two by four? Huh? Very, very impressed. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is what is going on? Like it's it's crazy. Yeah, that, you're right. It's it's very volatile. So I think the supply chain has really been disrupted. Um, and and it's interesting. I was on a uh, a different webinar last week and a lot of U.S. suppliers and construction companies were on that call and uh, had a good presenter and they talked about it's not it's kind of a perfect storm this year I guess was that um, you know obviously COVID was shutting down you know steel mills and and that kind of thing in different different parts of the supply chain but um, they also had a heavier than normal hurricane season down south, which which created uh, and it's a lag demand. I guess it, it, you have a hurricane, you don't rebuild right away. It's several months down the road when they start, you know, insurance process and they go through, and then they start to rebuild. and And the the big freeze in Texas, they said, was was huge because it froze a lot of resins that are in different building materials and now the supply chain can't get that can't get this material fast enough and supply and demand the prices are just going up so there's there's a huge demand and there's low supply 
you know, we've had, we've seen some material actually increase sixfold from a year ago. So they're not holding their prices. And, you know, you get a, you get a client who wants a quote and you put together a quote and it's good for, you know, a week and all of a sudden everything changes again, all the prices are out. It's hard to explain that. And I think, you know, you, you have to educate your, your customer now to, it's not as much as it is as business is normal that we're kind of, you know, we're working and we're busy in construction. It's not business as normal because um, the supply chain is in, is in complete chaos. It's so volatile. Um, even lead times, what typically we were used to get in eight to 10 weeks have now been stretched in some items like steel, some steel members are 30 weeks now. So, I mean, that's over six months. So people want, when they want something, they, you know, they decide that they want to buy it. They want it. You can, it's hard to tell them. Well, okay, we'll, we'll be there next February kind of thing. So that it has been a, that is a challenge. That is our biggest challenge right now. No doubt. Yeah. And, and just in talking to friends, I mean, you know, you, there's nothing to spend money on right now. You can't travel, <laughs> you can't go shopping. And so a lot of people are really investing in their homes and, um, sure. you know, whether they're putting in pools or uh, just, you know, renovating the home, but you're right. You know, you, you, you get something in your head and it's like, okay, I want to get that done now. And you call and you book a, you know, a, a painter and he says, yeah, I can, I can be there. I'm going to slot you in for the next available time, which is like seven months from now. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you want to do some landscaping or, or God forbid, you need to put up a fence um, this summer or a deck. You're, you're waiting quite a long time. It's, um, you, you just can't get the people. It, it, it is a challenge because, uh, you know, and it's not. You know, people aren't used to that. Buyers of, of construction are not used to that. You're used to some better responsiveness than that. And we're used to being able to get materials on a timely basis. And like I, ha I have one supplier of, uh, well, it's a mechanical contractor. And they said their stainless steel pipe, quote, is good for 24 hours. So um, the their market is so volatile in the stainless steel industry that they virtually can't hold their price. It's when you want it, we'll buy it. And then we'll tell you what it costs. Yeah. And um, we, it's, it's interesting because we, we um, had a meeting earlier this week and someone was saying that, you know, the, the tin cans um, there's a, sh a shortage. So companies like Coca-Cola are only producing their, their top three sellers so, um, you know, if, if you like uh, Fresca, for example, <laughs> you're not going to be finding it anytime soon um, because they just don't have the tin cans to, um, to uh, produce it. Uh, Don, are, are you hearing from your members that that supply chain um, is, is an issue for them right now or going to be an issue for them longer term? Um, there was, well, again, uh, in the beginning for a large number of the beginning of the pandemic, there was some of that. There has been some movement uh, to trying to find uh, supply chain, chain sources locally uh, for our members who dealt with uh, Mexico and China, um, some evidence of that. Um, 
you know, it's de it's it's very specific, as Len points out. Uh, the construction industry uh, and and lumber. Uh, just as anecdotally, I did have a small fence uh, completed recently, and the individual uh, small contractor was telling me that, uh, and whether these stories are true, there's some contractors uh, looking for lumber, and uh, they're actually stopping uh, supply trucks on the highway and uh, offering a bit of money for them just to deliver it, just so that they, they have inventory, you know, wow. getting that, uh, that tight. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like the, uh, Scott, it's like the wild, wild west, huh? Yeah, I would, that's, uh, you know, I, I think there's a good opportunity for bribes, uh, maybe on the side of the highway, we'll have to keep an eye open for that. That's, uh, but, you know, that kind of ties in a little bit, I guess, to the question I wanted to direct to Blake and then see if there was any uh, uh, lingering effects to John and Len. Because one of the findings uh, in your survey was, um, you know, about coming back and one of the things that has hit companies hard is, is the mental health aspect, right? Because there's always stress. So, you know, there's stress on people losing their job, there's stress in, you know, companies, you know, almost being out of business and all that. And then I'm sure from Len and Don's uh, perspective is stress of like, how do I do a quote? How, like, what if I can't get the material? What if, and you know what, you know, there's so many different factors. Someone's partner might, uh, you know, come down with COVID and the stress is related with that. Like there's a lot of mental anguish in the world today. And, and Blake, that was one of your big uh, findings of course. So maybe we'll start with you just to speak, speak to that. Yes, certainly. So like employee mental health and employer mental health. So those are top two of the kind of biggest challenges that some of the, you know, that the, the, the respondents um, have reported on. Um, Niagara Region, uh, they you know, have the public health department and, and they're very familiar with this. Um, they've done some outreach to companies like um, from our, after our first two surveys. Um, they were, you know, uh, providing resources to companies and that sort of thing. Um, to help maybe uh, deal with some of the mental health symptoms that people are feeling. Um, however, I can't really see that improving until the economy reopens and they're able to get back to their livelihoods. So, you know, during the pandemic, I'm fortunate I get to work. Um, however, imagine if your livelihood, your business, you know, which is your basically your bread and butter and, and what you do every day, you know, you just can't do anything like, like that would be devastating to me. So I'm very empathetic with the businesses. Um, and again, these, the, this is information that we'll all take back to Niagara region public health and then say, what are we doing about this? What kind of programs, you know, when it comes to economic recovery, um, like our economic development office has eight people, um, but, you know, it's a massive undertaking and it has to be all hands on deck in terms of making this recovery happen as quick and as smoothly as possible um, when the economy reopens. So hopefully um, the region and the province um, will be dedicating resources to mental health because I see this being could actually be prolonged into the future. Um, it's, you know, it's no secret now that people are struggling um, so I really hope that this information can encourage 
you know, other levels of government, including the public health people at the region, to be thinking about what special programs and resources do businesses need? You know, do they, maybe their employees need counseling, maybe the ownerships need counseling, like all that kind of stuff costs money and takes resources. So again, it's about just seeing, you know, where are we at? Um, and, and this survey was really focused on how do we get better from here, whereas the last two were more or less focused on, okay, what's happening to you? We did a little bit in that survey, but most of the questions here were like, what do you need? What are your obstacles? You know, um, uh, what kind of assistance would benefit from you? How can we um, expedite the recovery? So mental health actually came right up top on on the radar um as you know and, and i suspected it could but it beat out some other things that you may think about like cash flow and other you know more uh, traditional business stuff but mental health is in the front and center right now in terms of um, what needs to be addressed for for a lot of these businesses uh in the recovery process Sure. Um, I want to hear from the other two, uh, Scott, but I just wanted to, to, to mention, I think what we're hearing as well is, you know, the, the people who aren't working, certainly, you, you know, they've got lots going on and, and uh, struggling with a lot of stuff. But there are a lot of people who are the few that are left working, you know, so so they're working for organizations where maybe they, they had a team of, of 20 people and now maybe their department is down to two or three and they're doing all of the work and, and it's still quite busy and and they're struggling because it is a lot of pressure um, to get things done and to keep the, um, you know, operation going. And there's no distinction um, and, I, and I find this too, there's no distinction between your work day and a weekend, right? Every day is the same. Uh, there, there's no big things that we're doing to, to differentiate. You know, you, you can't go out for dinner. You, you can't go golf. You can't, you can't do anything. And so people are really struggling with that. It's just a lot of pressure. And I think that's a, a, another piece that we probably have to look at. And, and I want to hear from the rest of, of, uh, the guys as well. Yeah, I mean, Don, your your members, you know, maybe working things might be, you know, uh, good economically, but that doesn't mean that they're not carrying more stress. Uh, managers aren't carrying more stress. Who knows what employees are going through at home? I mean, kids are in school. They're out of school. I mean, there's so much, right? So, have you seen uh, any ramifications from all? Of well, I, you know, among our members, which um, uh, like in the case of uh, Lens uh, Industry and uh, the manufacturing that have remained open, to some extent, uh, things have remained much the same for them. They're still uh, getting up, going to a facility, working, uh, you know, so we don't hear as much of that. The On the associate member's side, uh, the service industries and that, yes, definitely, it's uh, taken an interesting toll. Some some research has been done on this. It's quite interesting. Um, if you were an established, let's say you're uh, not perhaps in, in manufacturing, you're going to go to a facility, but rather if you're, uh, if you're an office worker, um, older, uh, more established workers, you know, um, they um, and have had to remain at home and, and work virtually. The survey seemed to show, now these are there, this is a little dated, it's probably we've been pushed for a long time now 
you know, having virtual meetings. But in the early to middle part of uh, the pandemic, uh, many of their response to the virtual world was not bad, except where they had to have their kids home. You know, if, if the kids were home on top of it, that was a real stress factor. But other than that, their networking and connections uh, in their organization were much the same. They, you know, they could call somebody up virtually. The ones that were suffering were the younger new employees. They did not have the opportunity to network. They didn't get to understand the culture of the organization. Uh, they, there was a greater frequency of quitting. Uh, I, I talked to, uh, as you know, of course, I'm at Brock University. I was talking to one alumnus and uh, his uh, organization during COVID. All of a sudden, he had one employee who was relatively new uh, approach him and say that uh, he was wanting to quit. And of course, this was all virtually done and um he asked him well why when he said i I, you know i just didn't think you and liked my work in that because you know he wasn't getting the feedback there was not they're not in an office and where uh supervisor is walking by and saying how are you doing and things like this so they start out in an organization they have no idea of how while they're doing they're not making those networking connections and uh and of course, their living conditions might be quite different again from the established worker who may be in a house and have their social network. And these might be individuals that are living in an apartment working virtually. We have a lot of uh, graduates of our MBA program that graduated this year that are experiencing that very effect. Uh, you know, whether they're on co-op work terms or full-time appointments, they, they, they mention this sort of thing. So that definitely there, that health uh, impact, the mental health impact uh, might be focused on, you know, particular age groups. In there. And that's, uh, it's interesting, you know, how the, the different approaches, you know, because, uh, you know, people do want feedback and, and, and I guess not getting it, you might think, well, I guess I'm just not getting the job done, but everybody is so removed from each other that, you know, it's yeah, that's that's an interesting side note, right? It comes back to that whole men- mental health sort of scenario, right? Uh, a lot of people, you know, different people require different things, and if you're the type of employee who needs an attaboy, and there's no attaboy to be given, that's uh, you know, nobody there to give it. Rather, that's that's tricky. Len, uh, is it? You see anything like that from uh, in your industry? One hundred percent. My 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 company, we uh, survey our employees annually based on this uh, Gallup has 12 questions that they developed. And the idea is that it measures employee engagement. And um, we've been doing it probably 10 years. So you can start to see the trends happen. You know, we work on, when we get that feedback, we work on trying to improve where we don't feel we're at the right score. And this year, you can see a sharp decline in uh, recognition of, of good work and getting feedback from your supervisor. So um, 
we, we saw that and, and we realized, well, you know, we're not doing a good job there. Because, you know, we were really focused on keeping the place open and keeping everybody employed. And we weren't doing the things that we should do as far as, you know, the attaboys and, and recognizing successes. And it, it affected people for sure. I mean, I think we, we've probably saw more turnover, especially, especially, you know, on the lower um, end of the scale, more turnover than we've saw in, in previous years. Um, so we had to address it and, you know, we've tried bringing in, you know, we brought in actually a, a consultant um, to work on culture and, and talk about, you know, the benefits of working together and how we should interact um, and also try to do more team communication. You know, we're, we're disengaged. We're on different, well, disengage, uh, disconnected, I guess, because we're on different job sites and we don't see each other a lot. So, you know, using, using different methods of communicating with those people and getting them to feel part of the, the greater whole again, I think that was something that we saw and we hope that's addressing, but uh, I'm not hundred percent sure, but yeah, it, it's, it's got to be an improvement. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had um, some students from Brock university and Niagara college on the podcast. And, and uh, I think it was uh, <clears throat> Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Darby who had started a job, had done a co-op and was starting a new job and that's exactly what she talked about, about, you know, she didn't feel as connected to, to the staff because, you know, they talked about, oh, we used to do this and we used to do that. And, oh, we used to have this great Christmas party, but they couldn't do that. And so she, she didn't feel any of that connectivity. And um, she was just starting uh, a job with, I, I think it was the University of Guelph, a really exciting position for her. And she said, you know, I, I hope. Um, that, you know, there'll be an opportunity to do those things. So it is so important. And, um, and you know, this is how we stay connected right now. It's, it's through these types of platforms, through Zoom and, 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 uh, and digital platforms, and it's just not the same. And Len, you're so right. Like right now, or up until now, the past year, we've been so focused on just keeping the doors open. Um, that a lot of stuff has fallen through the cracks and um, it just is, right? And so hopefully we're getting back to um, a, a point where we can start focusing on, on some of those other important things. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's a period of adjustment too, right? And everything changed and, and nobody really knew how to react to it. And we were all trying to do our best, but definitely, you know, things, balls got dropped and and they need to be addressed because they are important. We, uh, don't, we are just about out of time, but I want to leave everybody with one sort of final thought. So maybe we can whip, whip around the uh, horn, as they say, fairly quickly, just with a, a bit of a uh, hopefully optimistic look as to what's going to happen, uh, let's say, between now and, and September for, for each of you. Uh, and we'll start with you, Blake. 
Well, well, good news is that there's a heck of a lot of disposable income pent up in Ontario. So in Niagara, it's about 1.2 billion. In Ontario, it's about 30 billion. So, you know, buying locally, supporting domestic supply chains, all of that's going to be very important. We need to keep that money in Ontario, supporting Ontario businesses. And hopefully we can get a lot of Ontario visitors coming to Niagara once things are open and spending some of that 30 billion so that we can help get our, you know, uh, businesses up and going again. Yeah, that sounds really positive. How about you, Doc? Well, it's the skilled trades, of course, that we didn't touch on. That's a a critical issue for uh, all of our members and for manufacturing as a whole. And uh, particularly here in the Niagara region, I mean, the demographics of Ontario uh, and the Niagara region is such that, uh, and, and this has been going on for several years. One and the and COVID has had an impact on that. Of even in terms of that shortage of skilled trades and the training of young people, that's uh, that has slowed down, of course, during this time period because not a lot of of uh, face-to-face instruction that could go on live instruction within uh, skilled trades. So hopefully, uh, you know, as we turn the corner on this, we can get back to attempting to build the uh, skilled, you know, our skilled trade uh, workforce, which is, which is going to be critical in the next uh, few years. And again, of that, when I look back at our think tanks, this topic uh, comes up uh, all the time, big issue. Okay, thanks. Uh, Len? Um, I, I'm generally pretty optimistic, um, especially from now to September. I mean, I see, I see the, the opportunities coming in here for, for future work and, and what we've got on the go now. And, I'm, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time despite all the challenges. But, uh, yeah, there's, it's, there's good opportunity if you look for them and, and you stay you know, you stay focused on what you're, what you should be doing. And it, it, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited, but, you know, to Don's point, um, you still need the, the skilled people to do the work. And that was a challenge before the pandemic. And I don't see it being solved after the pandemic quickly. So. Right. Right. That might hang on for, for some time. Well, uh, gentlemen, uh, Don, Len, Blake, thanks so much. There's, uh, I, I like, I like hearing some optimism in there. Uh, there are some positives, and it's good that there's still things rolling along, and that there's all kinds of money to be spent shortly. So uh, that's all good news. So thank you very much for spending your your time with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Loris, what's happening next week? Yeah, well, next week we're going to be welcoming uh, Scott Louie. He's the CEO for the City of Port Coburn, and David Cribb, CEO for the Town of Pelham. We're going to discuss the challenges that they've experienced in managing a municipality, how they've been able to continue to provide core services with reduced resources, and somehow maintain a community spirit. No easy task, to be sure. To all of our listeners, please tell us what you're talking about, because we want to talk about it too. Thanks for tuning in, and have yourselves a wonderful day.